Truth Plus Media. Well, that's a big part of uh, our success is our chemistry, guys. Uh, having fun together, whether we're on the practice floor, on the game, on the bench, on the bus, on the plane, on the locker room. Still up, and D'Antoni trying to get timeout. He didn't. 111-108. Nash goes. This is three for the tie. Good! Steve Nash again! Dallas on the floor. And what a magical season it's been. 62 wins, best in the NBA. And for the first time in 12 years, they've reached the Western Conference Finals. One of the great turnarounds in NBA history. And looking for Stoudemire. Again! 35 for Stoudemire. A three-point game. The year was 2005, and the Phoenix Suns were the best team in the NBA. After a 29-win season the previous year, Phoenix signed a guy by the name of Steve Nash in the offseason. Steve was a 30-year-old point guard at this time who had just finished his sixth year in Dallas. However, Mark Cuban and the Mavs felt as if he was not worthy of a big contract extension. With Nash, the Suns, rounded out by Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion, Quentin Richardson, and Joe Johnson, set the league ablaze and ended with a league-best 62 wins. This is Forgotten Seasons, a show that rediscovers and relives one iconic season with former NBA greats. I'm Dylan Dreyfus, the creator of Forgotten Seasons, and on today's episode, we are joined by Quentin Richardson. Q Rich was new to Phoenix this year after spending the first four years of his career with the Clippers. He fit in perfectly with the Suns and Nash and led the league in both three-point makes and attempts. However, this would be his only year with the Suns. He was traded to the Knicks after this season for Kurt Thomas. And they made the move, Q thinks, because the, quote, experts believe that the Suns' small ball running gun offense was not the right formula for a championship. But as we all know, the Suns, led by Nash, never did win a championship, and many believe that this was their best group. Forgotten Seasons with Q Rich and the 2005 Suns begins now. All right, welcome, everybody. Uh, we got a very special guest on today, 13-year pro one half of the Knuckleheads podcast, Quentin Richardson, Q Rich. How you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on and being such a, a great supporter of the page. So as always, we're just focusing on one season today. A very special one, the 2004-2005 Suns. We got Steve Nash's first year, Q Rich's first year. Um, so Q, I want to sort of start little bit before the season, your, four, your first four years in the league are spent with the Clippers. You come into free agency. Can you quickly talk us just through that process of, you know, who you were talking to, where you were looking, and maybe how those initial conversations went with Phoenix? Uh, it was, it was kind of crazy because in the beginning, um, I hadn't really talked to Phoenix much at all. I remember talking to, we went on a visit to Denver. Me and Darius actually went and um, visited them together, went and sat and uh, with Kiki Vandeway was, was uh, I think he was general manager at the time or whatever, president, something like that. I know he was, uh, we sat with Kiki and um, we didn't end up doing that. I think that was the year that, uh, Darius went to Portland that year, I believe. Darius went mm -hmm. to Portland, and then um, obviously, like that, like Phoenix came in kind of late in the game for me. But I had always, like, my whole you know four years in LA, I had had like a pretty good career against Phoenix, so I kind of understood it once it happened. But uh, they came in kind of late in the game. Then it was a, you know, I was a restricted free agent, so it was mm -hmm. kind of a countdown to whether they the, the Clippers were going to match, and that kind of came to the last day. And I remember talking to Coach Dunleavy 
uh, the morning before the, you know, the before the deadline, the morning of the deadline, actually. And, you know, he, he, we had a talk and then he, you know, he really wanted to know what I wanted to do and stuff like that. And then we, we, uh, you know, he did, they did match and I went to Phoenix and, you know, that the, the rest is history. Well, the rest was history. I was listening to you, you and Steve's interview on the knuckleheads and you guys were talking about how once everyone signed, you all went early, like you all went August. I'm not sure when typically people go down, maybe like October or September, but walk us through just those first few days of training camp, what that was like. Um, Cause you guys are playing a new style of ball, right? There's no true center on the team. It's you, Steve, Amari, Matrix, uh, and Joe Johnson, a young Joe Johnson. So wait, before before I tell that story, I got I gotta tell the story about the night me and Steve signed, me and Steve Nash. We, you know, well, uh, one, one thing before that too, because it, it involves that. I saw that Phoenix was talking to Kobe and trying to get him there. Did you have any insight onto that, or did you know that was going on? No, we never. Even if that, I never knew anything about that. If that was happening, I never mm-hmm. heard that. But the night that, that, that me and Steve Nash were set to sign, like after, actually, you know, after, you know, how you have that waiting period after you agree to terms, it's like right. a week ago and then you get to sign. So we there, it's like midnight. We waiting for, we get there before midnight because at midnight you can sign and everything. So we in the office, it's uh, David Griffin and, and Rex Chapman and uh, our assistant GMs and Brian Colangelo was, was the, uh, Colangelo was, was the GM. Mm-hmm. So we we in there waiting, and it's kind of you know we looking at Sports Center and the office and everything. It's starting to take a little long, and we like, man, what's going on? And so you know the salary cap was projected to be one thing, but when they actually released it, it came in lower than what it was projected. So that meant that one of us had to take less money on our contract. I mean, and Steve, and now we sitting in there chilling, we waiting, 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 and then it's like, man, what's going on? It's taking a long time. So then Rex comes in, and and you know they kind of start explaining it to us, and then everybody. <laughs> Everybody's sitting there and no lie, this is how great of a person Steve is. Like he, no second guessing, no thought. He was like, once he, once we all figured out what was going on, he was like, if that's what's going on, man, just here, just like me and me and just take it off mine and, oh and put it God. on cues. And I turned and looked at him like, you know, I didn't like at this point, I don't know Steve like that personally. I know him from competing on the court and, you know, being cool in that way, but I don't even really know him past that at all. So it was mm-hmm. like for him to do something like that, I wish I really remembered how much money it was. It wasn't like a lot of millions, but it was definitely over a million dollars. And for him to do something like that, just without even thought like that, that right there set the tone for how selfless he was in my eyes. Like right there, I was real, okay, like now I'll run through a brick wall or anybody trying to mess with Steve, they gonna have to see me. So it was like right there, just, just set the tone of how he would be, you know, the whole season long right there. Yeah, and I, I heard so many stories from you and, and reading stuff that Mike said, like when you guys lost, it was always on him, right? Even if he had a good game, like he's standing up in the locker room saying, you know, this is this is my bad, guys. So yeah. so bring us back to just those first days. Like, what are your first memories like with the team in training camp uh, down there in Phoenix? See, that's the funny thing. Like, we got there probably in September or whatever. Everybody got there kind of late August, early September. We started going, you know, to the arena. We had a practice facility in the arena. We would get together, play, have pickup games and run and everything. Nothing that we were doing, nothing, even when we got to training camp, we had training camp in Flagstaff, Arizona, where it's like a raised altitude, an elevated altitude and all that. So I guess that, that kind of helped us with our conditioning without us really knowing it. But nothing we were doing, 
gave us a signal like, hey, we playing fast. We playing seven seconds or less. Nothing we were doing in the, those early stages at like preseason, before preseason started, when we were there just working out and we we're playing. And then even when we got to camp, nothing we would do because it was just us. It, we, we, we were continually seeing ourselves. So it was, we didn't think that we were playing super fast or whatever. Now we knew. We would talk to each other to a man like, man, yo, like me and Joe might be hanging after practice or after a pickup or me and Tricks might be chilling. And we all be like, man, my boy Steve, boy, he going, you know what I'm saying? If you get out, he going, he going, he going to find you somehow. Like we was all marveling about that. But like, other than that, we didn't think we were doing anything special until, until really when the season hit. Mm. I remember you guys saying that because everyone coins you guys like seven seconds or less, right. but that never, that never even came up. It's just like you guys played, uh, but it's crazy. Cause you really did sort of set the tone for like the next 15 years in the league, small ball, all that. So I want to quickly just sort of go down the roster. And if you can, I'm going to name you the player and the first word or memory or phrase that comes to mind, just, just spit. So let's start with Amari, young Amari. Man, child. Man, straight man, child. He 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 was a straight animal out there, like for real. It man, he wasn't scared of nobody. He was ready to see whomever. And you gotta think that was in the era where it was a big man driven, like you know, power forwards. That was when some of the greatest power forwards was playing, from Tim Duncan to KG. Mm -hmm. They had Yao down there. You had you had some boys down there playing, and it, it stat was with everything, with whoever. And he's playing the five a lot, right? Yeah, he, I mean, yeah, he, be, he he turned into the five, basically, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And then let's go young Joe Johnson. Man, JoJo was so smooth, silky smooth, boy. JoJo was, a, he, this was, this was before everybody knew who he was, before he became ISO Joe. He was still, he was, he was super cold, but he was like the, he was like the, the unknown dude. He was the underrated guy, but he was, he, he had game early on still. Hmm. Hmm. Now, one of my favorite guys, I think, statistically and just on the court, one of the most overrated, un sorry, underrated players of his time, Sean Marion. Oh, man, that's, his name speaks for itself, Tricks, man. Tricks was like the thing that I always say about Tricks in hindsight that, you know, Steve, Steve Nash was our MVP, right? Mm -hmm. But in the same token, like Tricks was too, you know what I'm saying? Because because no way. No way could we have done because Trix was a Swiss Army knife. Yep. He guarded one through one through four, sometimes five, and you know, and he he was the only person that I've ever you know at that time that I had ever seen be able to really guard Dirk Nowitzki by himself and give him those type of problems and be able to do it without a double and allow us to run around and guard our own men and stuff. Trix was unbelievable, and while all the time being six seven, undersized at the four, averaging a double double in a heartbeat. That's a player from this era, the mid 2000s, that if you put him in today's game, there's nobody oh. like him. Like people, people ask, you know, who's he like today? There's really no one because, you know, he has that funny shot, but he could hit it like he shot like that's a little, you know, that's the tricks I always say. He said, oh, go in though, go in. <laughs> <laughs> Not for real though, like mid 30s, like that's, you know, you got to respect him at least. Uh, and then just Steve, you know, one word. Man, one word for, for Stevie, just 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 un unselfish, super unselfish. Because I mean, like you talk about dropping the player off in today's game. Like if, if he played where where point guards could could shoot first and shoot threes and do that, man, Stevie could average thirty. 
Stevie Stevie was that he shot the ball that great. Like I, I promise, I, I me and my friends we talk about it from time to time. And I say it's never really a time where when Stevie shot the ball, I always felt like it was going in. Like he shot that well. Like even though he didn't shoot a lot, like whenever you watch Stevie shoot, Stevie could shoot the hell out of the ball. <laughs> His numbers were always high and efficient, you know what I'm saying? Percentages and all that. Like he could score if he wanted to. He just was selfless. He wanted to, to pass the ball and he he enjoyed getting getting everybody involved. That was what that was his like his his special move. Hmm. I mean, he showed glimpses of it throughout his career, what he could do like this year in the Dallas series, like 30, yeah. 40. But and he even says I've heard him like if I could go back, man, or playing today's game, like I'm putting up shot shots. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then the season starts, right? And I didn't even remember this going back. You guys start 30 and four, which is crazy. And even crazier when it's a new team, right? It's Dantoni's first coach, first year as the coach. You and Steve are, are new guys. Um, and obviously you didn't expect it. Was it a surprise or, or was it just like you guys are playing? Like, What is that like in the locker room when you guys are just blowing the doors off of team after team, because it's not even like close wins, right? Like you are like blowing these guys out. <laughs> no, I got to a point, like, I don't remember exactly the, what the record was or what, you know, game it was, but it got to a point where, like you say, every fourth quarter, nine, eight minutes, we sitting down icing up and we on the bench laughing and joking and having a good time. And it's like, it really started to hit us when like, you know how everybody got peers and friends on other teams, mm -hmm. on the opposite teams, you know, we'd be in warm-ups or after the game or something, we'd be talking to somebody, be like, man, dog, like, what do y'all, what was y'all doing? Like, how is y'all playing something? Like, we kind of was looking like, man, look, like, I'm, look, it's point like the to Jordan number 13, truck. just point to number 13, say we, we know that he, cause if, if you, every image that you think about is like of that year, it's whoever getting the rebound, finding Steve, Steve flying up the court with his hair, flying in the wind, and then he's darting that thing to somebody and somebody's scoring or lobbing it, or it's like the turnaround is that quick. Like, that was all we was doing. It was, we didn't notice it. It got to a point to where, like you say, we got to 30 and four, and it was like, we started looking at each other like, yo, this is getting crazy. <laughs> like, like, we, cause it was like, you know, a couple games, couple teams be like, all right, this is gonna be a test. This is gonna be this. And then we'll, we'll slap them up and we come in the locker room like, yo, like, thought this is gonna be a little tougher than this. And it's like, no, the only team we we had any issues with was, was some damn Spurs. Mm, well, we'll get into that later. I, I read Mike D'Antoni talking about how, like, during that streak, he would just walk into Colangelo's office after game, and they just sort of like look each other, look at each other, and be like, "Man, like, it's pretty crazy." Um, so then to go into a little bit of, like the stats from that year, like I said, you guys are sort of revolutionizing the game a little bit. You lead the league in points in three point attempts. You, I got a little stat for you and a question. I'm wondering if, if you can answer this. So you shot 10 or more threes 26 times this season. Can you name the other two players that did that more before 2012? Basically before Steph. So it's it's before you. Antoine Walker, one of them? Mm-mm. It's surprising. It's Baron Davis did it in 2003. And George wow. McLeod did it in 1995. I would have never guessed that. It's it's not obvious. So what is it like for you? Because I don't know. It's like, did you consider yourself like a shooter when you were coming up in the league and in college? 
See, that's the funniest thing, man. Like people don't understand. The first thing I was ever, 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 ever able to do in basketball on the court from a little bitty stage was shoot. Hmm. Like shoot. When I got to fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I can shoot. Seventh, eighth grade, I can shoot. Like maybe, you know, people had opinions about how it looked because it kind of came from the left side of my face or what have you, but <laughs> I could shoot. It go in. You know what I'm saying? Throughout high school, throughout college, I could shoot. I just, in high school, I was the power forward. I rebounded really well. When I got to college, even though I was 6'5", I played the power forward. I, I, I was, I led, you know, I was top in college and rebounding and, and all, mm-hmm. but I, I was a 6'5", power forward. Like, I had people, when they first met me, they was like, damn, I, I thought you was like 6'7", 6'8". I'm like, 6'6", you know, I was, I was measured at 6'6", but I'm like 6'5", three-quarters, 6'6", six, six, whatever, same thing. But for me, that was something that I was always able to do. But I felt when I got to Phoenix, that took me out of what I was doing in L.A. Because in L.A., mm-hmm. when you came to Phoenix, that was a team you had to you had to give something up. You know what I'm saying? Everybody on that team sacrificed. They could have done more, if you, if you will. You know what I'm saying? They could have tried to score more, be more of this. But, like, what made our team great was that everybody sacrificed for the greater good of the team. And that meant everybody had to give a little bit of their scoring or whatever they could do individually. We had to sacrifice that for, for us to be a great team. And that's what we all did. Mm. Well, I feel like Steve kind of set the tone there. Um, and then the thing that we like to do is just ask our guests. I mean, you do this. I sort of stole it from you guys. You asked, you know, who's the first person to bust your ass, but sort of spinning it back onto you. Not the first person, but if you think about this era, like the mid 2000s uh, at the forward wing position, who are the guys, you know, when you were on defense that you, you really had to buckle up and that might have given you some trouble sometimes? Easy, Kobe. Kobe, Kobe first, you know, uh, but you gotta think in that era, it was, it was Kobe's. I might get caught up on a BD, uh, Gilbert Arenas, T-Mac. Uh, I know I'm forgetting some people, but I ain't, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful, but those names jumped straight out and Catino Moby used to give me hell. Like my rookie and my, my first few years, like Catino Moby used to give me hell. He was a problem. Hmm. And then on defense, like, are you guys switching a lot? Cause you're small or is it like, do you remember what the schemes were there? We did, we switched. Uh, I mean, because we, you know, we would, we would play kind of offset anyway, because like I say, Trix was always our, our best defender. So we would put him kind of, it just depended. We might put him on a point guard, you know what I'm saying? And like, or like when we play San Antonio, he he would be on either Manu Ginobili or, or Tony Parker the whole game. And we would have Steve on Bruce Bowen and then it'd be Joe on one of the other guys. And we would so we played, you know, we we played around with our with our defensive lineups a lot, just depending on the team and the lineup. Mm. So then, right, you have the hot start, 30 and four. And then on January 8th, you guys match your win total from the previous year. You weren't there. You guys won, I believe, 29 games. So before the All-Star break, well before you guys had already surpassed your win total. And then All-Star weekend comes, and I I thought that this was a pretty fun fact that all five of you, the five starters, were there in Denver that year. You remember that? Any stories from that? Oh, yeah. I remember it exactly because the crazy part about it was that, like you said, we were, uh, we had the best record, you know, going into All-Star. We were like, this surprise anomaly or whatever. Cause if you, if you go back to preseason, we were picked to finish last in the division. 
Really? That was the funny part. Like, go look it up. We were picked to finish last in the division. And then we, you know, obviously we did what we did. But like, even going into that, into that weekend, so I think I was leading the league in three-point makes, right? But I don't know what my percentage was. Because like you said, I was, I was like clipping it. Yeah, he was letting them go. I was letting yeah. them fly. So uh when it came time for like the, the all-star weekend stuff, it was like, you know, uh Amari was doing a dunk contest. Trix was in the skills thing with the with the with the other guys with Dan Marley and um I think it was Tarasi, and then um you had you had they wanted Joe Johnson got initially invited to the three point contest. He had a three point high three point field goal percentage, but I didn't get an invite, and they wanted Steve Nash to do the skills competition. So you know Steve was like. How is Q not in the three-point competition? Now I That's can crazy. neither conf- I can neither confirm nor deny, but I, I I remember Stevie leveraging the the skills competition. If y'all want me in that, y'all need to have Q in the three-point competition like he belongs. So that's, that's why, dope. like, when I go there and I win it, I remember coming to tell Steve, like, hey, I had to have your back for you holding me down like that. That's dope. That's dope. Straight up. So then the season finishes, you guys win 62 games. First round, you got Memphis. That's actually a team that gave you a little bit of trouble. They had Pau Gasol, uh, Mike Miller, Jason Williams. You ended up sweeping them. But do you remember, you know, what, what was it like going up against that those guys? Because that's a team that I've highlighted before. Um, and they, they were pretty good. No, it was it was definitely, uh, you know, that was, that was my first time, you know, in the playoffs, my mm. first time. So for me, it was it was it was dope, man. It was the atmosphere was great. It was my first time being in the series and, in the, in the, you know, in that whole type of environment. So for me, I was taking it all in. Like you say, they were a good team. Uh, we just were, you know, it, even though we swept them, it was still more competitive than it, than it may seem may have seen. Mm. Yeah. And then we go to Dallas and this is one of my favorite mm. ones. Because just for some context, so Steve was obviously on the Mavericks beforehand. He enters free agency. They say, nah, you're 30. You know, we're not going to give you this long-term deal. Um, And, you know, I've heard him talk about how he wasn't, like, out to get him and, like, all that stuff. But there was, like, a little bit of pride. Were you guys sort of playing for Steve, too? Because everyone knows that situation then. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. It was no different. Like, when I, like, that's, I mean, anybody knows anything about the league and sports, like, man, that's just how it goes. When we went to play them in the, you know, the first game during the regular season there, it was like, it was pandemonium. It was news cameras everywhere, like it was a playoff game because this was his first time coming back. And we were having the success that we were having, which they were, you know, it was a big deal during the season because, uh, they got Jason Terry and, you know, some of the Mavs fans, although it took some time for him to get embraced, they were kind of, you know, mad mm-hmm. that Stevie was still doing as well as he was and they had let him go. So it was a little bit of that. So when he when we came there during the regular season to play, it was crazy then. So definitely, you know, when we got to the playoffs, it was like, and that's when I was calling. Every time we would go somewhere, I used to call him, all right, now, it come the president comes, I used to call Stevie the president because I'm telling you, it was like, the fandom that was that was for real like the first time where I felt like you know and, and it's no disrespect to none of my Clippers teammates but this was he was the MVP this year this was like a rock star when we mm-hmm. went places it was like Steve Nash is the man and I was like dude like this is crazy we this got li- to Dallas what it was this ridiculous. little dude from Canada 
ridiculous. And he was the, like, you know, if you would never know, he would never say anything. Like he would be looking around like, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> you know, the coolest, the, like the coolest dude ever for real. Like, and that's what made it like even more great. Cause we would all be cracking up. Like Barbosa, all us would be, you know, trying to make fun of it. And Steve would just be like, come on, man. Like, I don't <laughs> care about that. Like, yeah. Um, so then you beat Dallas in six and then you go to San Antonio, but something happens in the Dallas series. You lose Joe Johnson. He breaks his face. And I believe he goes, literally. he come, he literally breaks his face. That sounds like the most painful thing ever. But then he comes back, I believe, game three for the Spurs series. You guys are already down 2-0. When right. Joe Johnson goes down, what do you guys lose? Man, he was, I mean, he was basically literally our backup point guard. Like when mm. Steve would come out, he would run the game. He would run the Florida team and all of that. I mean, that was what got him paid. You know what I'm saying? Like when they saw that he could play, you know, run the run the team and get us in the sets and run literally run the point guard at six seven and as versatile as he was. And like, so that's what we lost. And then he, at the same way, he was every bit of a two way player. He was every bit of a two way player when mm. we were together in Phoenix because he would guard. He would guard basically the second or third best defender. It depends on what they were, you know, between they would put tricks on the first guy then between me and him, depending on whether they were strong or fast or what have you, they would put us on. So he was like our second, third best defender. And that was just, you know, he was he was clutch. I mean, you know, that that year we want we went eight deep, maybe nine. And when you like, he was critical. When you look at our numbers and minutes per game, like our core five, six, we played 30, 36, 37 plus minutes a game. And some, you know, tricks played closer to 40, I believe. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was a big blow. Yeah. Joe actually led the team in minutes. He's shooting 48% from three, which is crazy. <laughs> crazy. So, to keep on that Spurs series, we all know that the Spurs are great, they're amazing. But just talk a little bit, a little bit about like what made them so good and and how they were able to sustain that dominance basically over the course of like fifteen years. Man, they had the, the simple thing to say is Tim Duncan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the that's the simple way to put it. But I mean, literally, the best thing about the organization is the is the way they built it up. They always brought in complementary players and and uh, players that fit what they were into. They didn't, they didn't go for the splashy moves. They didn't go for, uh, for moves that they weren't sure about. They, they, I mean, obviously everybody's makes some mistakes and they hit or miss on this or that. And, you know, but they would, they would always, I feel like be try, uh, would try to be as swift as possible to rectify mm -hmm. any mistakes they made and in, in, whether it's in character or what have you, but that's the one thing you look at. If you look at that, that whole stretch, they did a really good job of always, even the good players, you know, they would, I think they would sacrifice, some talent and, and you know in case and, and for, for character and i think it worked out for them in a lot of ways where you saw you know on those championship team i mean you look at a guy like bruce bowen who's not the most talented guy or the or the you know the guy that gets picked for all stars or whatever but he has a jersey hanging in that arena and for that organization because they know what he meant and they value what he brought to the table and what he brought to the table helped yield championships for them and that that means more than you know, whatever else, you know, it, it, for, for them, it wasn't about a, a, a super, super, super talented person coming in and doing this and that. It was about somebody being able to play the role next to Tim Duncan and David Robinson and Tony Park and Manu Ginobili and all those great guys. Mm -hmm. And he was he was one of the all time greats at, at, at being that role player. And that's why he has a jersey hanging in that arena. No doubt. And 
even on their teams later, right? You have guys like Danny Green and, and Patty Mills that continuous, sort of continuous, and they just breed those type of players. Yep. So, you know, you guys don't have Joe for half the series. You lose 4-1. Um, and then after, you know, that's it. That's your time in Phoenix. You get traded yeah. to the Knicks for Kurt Thomas, which all respect to Kurt Thomas. All respect to him, but, you know, he's like 33, 34 at that time. He doesn't have much left in the tank. Uh, you know, what What was it like? I don't want to say what was it like getting traded because I imagine getting traded is not fun, but, like, what were, what was that moment like when you get that call and who does call you then? My So my agent called me, Jeff Wexler called me to let me know what was going on. But I, I tell you, I'm be fine. I was pissed. I was salty. I was ready to, you know, get to the off season and obviously, you know, rest up for a few weeks and then get in the lab and get to the gym and get back and make a, cause we all felt like, you know, we obviously felt like if we had another back, another run at it, that we could, we could go get it. We felt mm -hmm. like we was, we was going to be rare enough to go make another run at it and dominate the league again. Like we had just done. So when the trade happened, obviously I was, I was pissed. I'm not, not going to lie. I'm like, what? And they, it, for me, it felt like, that we we folded, and then you know when I talked to I can remember years later when I was working for the Pistons and uh, Coach D'Antoni had just got back in the league with, with Philly. He was like a special assistant head coach or whatever in Philly, and um, we they they came to play us in Detroit. We were sitting on the sidelines talking pregame, and he was just like he confirmed my feelings. I felt like that we folded to the narrative that we couldn't do it the way we were doing it. You know what I'm saying? Because that was the narrative about us the whole season long on all of the shows and different topics. Can they win like this? Is it, will it work? And it was like, it's working now in the regular season, but it won't work in the playoffs and all of this stuff. So I felt like we folded and we gave in to that narrative. And then when I talked to him way back, and, and Coach D was like, yeah, man, he was like, he was like, I should have, I should have stuck, I should have fought harder for it. I should have, I should have stuck to my guns and not not let it into it. Cause he was like, we we should have, we should have had multiple runs at it with that core. Cause you know, obviously after they traded me, they didn't sign Joe back and Joe went to Atlanta. And then that was that was it for that, for that iteration of our of that team. That was the only time we only had that one year with that group. And I felt like if we'd have had two, three years, four years, like you see teams go at it with, with a core like that. You know, I felt like we had that. And I mean, we've all talked about, it. like you said, I've had everybody on the show so far except Joe. And um, we've all talked about that. Jim Jack was part of that team. Jim Jackson, mm -hmm. we we worked together at Turner and, and we see each other a lot. And we've talked about it like Steve Hunter, he's my, my boy from Chicago, DePaul. I talked to him. He felt that way, but I talked to Barbosa. We all felt that if we would have had a run back at it with that core group. I mean, we 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 feel like we at least got one, at least got to the finals and had a shot at one. I mean, nobody wins it in their first year, right? Almost nobody. If you even think about like LeBron, Wade, and Bosch, it took them two years to win it. We yeah, talked the to Celt the, the Celtics. The, Cel the Celtics uh, did. That's true. Yeah, that, yeah, their first year. Rarely. But I mean, that's also like the formation of a super team. Right. Mm -hmm. um, we talked to Xavier McDaniel and he sort of echoed similar thoughts because he only had one year with the Knicks in 92. And it's like, damn, like that's the frustrating thing. Like we didn't even we had our chance, but like not really. Like you do need two, three years. And I think to your point of like people saying that it wasn't going to work you see sort of the waves in the league. Like there was the whole small ball frenzy 
three, four years ago with the Warriors. And it's like, you know, you just need wings, wings. And then now you look at the finals like DeAndre Ayton, like maybe you need a seven footer. My belief is like good basketball teams will win. It's not you need two wings, a big man and, and whatever. It's like, you know, good, good teams win. And, and this was a good team. So it is a shame that that sort of ended so abruptly. Um, and I know that, that you guys were super close off the court too. Um, and that might've made it bittersweet too. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like, uh, how close we were off the court had as much to do with everything that we were doing on the court, man, every, every other day, weekend or whatever week we would, somebody would be having some, you know, we would be having cards and dominoes at Joe mm. house or, or barbecue at my house, barbecue at the shine house or whatever, we would be going out on the road together, going to dinners and hanging out, playing video games, just whatever. We were all always hanging out. And I think that was like, that was one of the dopest things. Like, you know what I'm saying? From from Jackson Vroman, rest in peace. Uh, mm. Jake Voschke, like we would have all of the guys. You would, it would, you know, you would get, go to dinners and you would get different, different groups of all of the guys all the time. Casey Jacobson, all of the, the core guys, obviously Jim Jack and, and, and Stephen Hunter and I, it would just be, I love that. Even uh, my man, my, uh, I don't want to mess up his name. Um, the the the, uh, the Japanese player, your, 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 what was his name? Your, your tuba? Yuda Tabu, Yuda Tabuse? Yeah, you something like that. My man, yeah. I used to mess with him. Mr. Cliff out <laughs> where I used to cut him because he was big time. Like he was like he was the first one to come over here from there, like to make the oh, NBA. So, so he was he's big time. Oh man, he's a yeah. legend. Like I'm telling you, and like so, like when we would we would go places, it would always be like a, a faction to be like, and I used to mess with him all the time. Like, you the man, like it's Jackie Chan <laughs> being you. And I was like, it's a it's a clip out of me messing with him about it on the court one day at practice, talking about how I'm like, it's Ichiro, and then it's you, like you the man, <laughs> like, and he be laughing and joking about it. But like for real, it would be like we would go places. It would be a it would be an Asian collection of of like it'll be a crowded section, just like in here there how pictures from where he um you know where he played at before he got to play in the league and it was crazy i used to be and the coldest thing about him you gotta look it up this is a fact since he was like a little kid the only shoe he ever played in was the j kids like every yeah. single game the jason kids the joint the nike joints with the little with the little uh shiny glowing different oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. He, Every game, every game, any photo you look up of him hooping, you are gonna see him in them. I, Cause I, I saw, I saw something on the, on the, uh, on social media with, and I was like, that's crazy. He definitely always kept those joints on deck. Like I don't even know how, but he he would have all the colors of them. Well, hopefully he got like a signed pair from J Kid or something. Um, so we have a few more questions that were actually submitted by some of the fans. But before we get into those, just any last words like on on that season. Man, I, I think, like I say, for me, whenever I get asked about, you know, the best season in my career, that was the best season of my career. Like, you know, as far as like team wise, making it the furthest we went to the, that was, that was the craziest, you know, playoff route I ever been on. And I felt like that was the year that I really felt like, and, and I believed that my teammates believed that we had a chance to win a championship. And I felt like if we would have had more, more shots at it, that we would have got one. But that, that was the one time in my career where I truly felt like, Yo, 
Like, you know, when you going through it and you getting you getting past this round, you felt like it was really getting into my head. Like, yo, we might we might freaking win the chip. Like we smacking mm. people right now. We were confident too. Like say we were blowing everybody out 62 and 20. We were doing some things that weren't supposed to happen. So we had every right to feel what we were feeling. Mm. I it's just it's so rare to to even get that far like people there's the sort of notion like if you don't want a championship like it's a failure but like people don't understand like to get to a you know to get to the conference finals you see now like get everyone healthy in the playoffs is rare it's rare so this was definitely a special team and it's a shame that you know you you and joe only were there for or you were only there for a year um but but anyway into just some fan questions we only got a few uh you mentioned you to shoes but you being mr jordan uh, what is your favorite PE? This was asked by my man, uh, Hassan, Asad Muhammad. Let's debate basketball. He said, what's your favorite okay. Jordan PE? From that year or just period? Just that, period. I would say my favorite PE that I got to play in was uh, was the 13. And I would say that because of my, the, the comfort of the 13 when I hoop. I love to play in the uh, – I got wide feet, so the 13s and the twos are like my mm-hmm. favorite to, to hoop in. And then, like, when the I, reason why I said it was my favorite PE because I first got them when I was in Phoenix, and I had rare colors. Like, you know what I'm saying? When I'm in Phoenix, these are colors you never seen. It's no the best. Yeah. So it was like I had purples, oranges, and all of this. Then you fast forward to that I got the 13s again when I was in Orlando. So now I'm getting mm-hmm. them again in colors that you never seen, seeing me in white and blue and blue and black, blue and black. I ended up actually releasing the kind of close to my color wave. So that was, those is probably my favorite joints to play in. Why don't they do that anymore? Like I'm trying to see like Luca in some, in some sevens or something. You hey, know why? be fire. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know. I they got to be that'd be nuts if they if they went back to that. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's some type of reason behind why, but I don't know. I know that was what, you know, when you look at the internet, that's what the, the, the fans go crazy about from our generation. Like me, Ray Allen, Bibby, Derek Anderson, Joe Johnson. It's like mm-hmm. Rip Hamilton. Like guys got some crazy heat on the retro side. Craig, Chris Paul got some filth too him and him so. and mellow got some filth on the retro side well i see you still stacking them up you get that package every few months or something i'm jealous but um hey, blessed <laughs> just to still you know be still be part of the family and get love man i, I i'm definitely thankful and, and blessed to be in that scenario my kids get to reap the benefits that's the best part of it for me it's a very elite group um so then just one more uh Riz Taguchi asked who do you who did you model your game after when you were growing up it's funny man I I I mean obviously when I was growing up I wanted to be like Joe and I wanted to play like Mike and all that then you get to the point where you see you don't play like Mike <laughs> you're not can't touch play the top like of the backboard yeah, you know, and, and when you run and jump and do stuff, you just don't look like Mike. So for me, it's, I started looking, like I said, I played the four mm-hmm. in high school and college. And so kind of when I was younger in seventh and eighth grade, too, I was playing the four. So I always looked at, at, at power forwards and big guys. Those are the guys that I tried. I tried to play like Charles Barkley. I wanted to play like Sharif Abdul-Rahim. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I wanted to play like Adrian Dantley. Those were the guys that I looked at because I played in the post. So that was probably like a funny, weird thing about me or whatever. But I looked at four men instead of like the guys that I was truly sized like. Mm. Well, Q, 
I appreciate you and thank you for hopping on. Everyone be sure to check out the Knuckleheads, my, one of my sure. favorite pods. They got Bradley Beal on recently, uh, Jamal Mashburn. Anyone coming up soon that you can say or, or is it a surprise? It's a surprise, but next week going to be, I think the people going to rock with it real hard. You know, everybody loved this guy, so it's going to be, I mean, it was a dope interview. So, uh, you know, one of my former teammates, he's real, you know, he's pretty well known, pretty popular guy. So I think everybody will dig it. All right. Well, we'll, we'll look out for it. Q, thank you very much um, and be well, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. This was Forgotten Seasons with Quentin Richardson and the 2005 Suns. Just an iconic group, and it's a shame that they were broken up just after one year. I'm Dylan Dreyfus, the creator of Forgotten Seasons. Be sure to check out Q and Darius Miles on the Knucklehead. Seriously, one of my favorite podcasts out there. Thank you guys for listening and for your continued support. You can find Forgotten Seasons on Instagram and Twitter. And go visit truthplusmedia.com for more in-depth looks at these amazing stories from NBA history. And make sure to stay tuned. There are more Forgotten Seasons on the way.